Hey, what's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to, or watching as the case may be, Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about virtue and goodness. This is actually a listener request, and it's actually from a listener who is a member of the Riverview Church of Christ. We have been studying through uh, some of the prophets. We've just got finished with Haggai. I talked through Haggai chapter 2 on Sunday morning, and one of the members wanted me to do a podcast about this that he could share with some folks. And the idea is about doing good works separate and apart from being a Christian. In the show notes, I think I I made mention of uh, the question, can someone be good outside of Christ? I think anybody in Christ would agree that the answer is no. You cannot be good. There is none good but one that is God. Therefore, in order to be good, one must be godly. And you cannot be godly. You cannot have a right relationship with God unless you are in Christ. So therefore, someone who is outside of Christ cannot be good. Well, what are they if they're not good? Well, the opposite of good is evil. Where good is not, evil is. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Very difficult. In fact, I would so go so far as to say, If you're not actively serving God, you are at least passively serving Satan. That's scary. And I don't suggest that the next time you talk to a person outside of Christ that you lead with this bit of information. Oh, hey, what's up? My name's Tony. I'd like to have a Bible study with you. Um, If you're not a Christian, you're you're a servant of Satan, and we don't want you to serve Satan anymore. That's not going to get you very far. But that's not really what the podcast is about tonight. The podcast is about good works. Can somebody outside of Christ do good works? And I'm going to go ahead and say the answer is no. And I have some nomenclature that may help us better understand this concept. I'm so glad that all of you are um, tuning in. Uh, Yes, are you supposed to be on the Facebook side? I am. I should be on Digital Bible Study. I should be on Facebook, Cogitations Facebook, and Digital Bible Study YouTube. And uh, anyway, let's get in here. Uh, First off, for those of you that are watching, Katie Smith, good evening. Diana Merritt Harding, how's Tony tonight? Tony's doing very well. Thank you very much. And of course, Terry Purdy, as there's two of you watching at Terry's house, good to see y'all. Susan Marie and Gita and Jenny Blackwell, hello. Good to see Connie Barden and Christine Woodall. And um, let's see, uh, where are we at? I thought I was missing. Yeah, right there it is. God's standards are different than man's standards most of the time. What may be considered good in the world is more than likely ungodly or evil in the eyes of God. Katie, that's a good comment, and you're on the right track, but. It's actually a little different than that. I don't know if I should say different. I'm going to look at it from a different perspective. So 
just chew on it as I'm as I'm going through. Uh, yeah, they uh, Jonathan Jonathan shut the room down before. I guess he forgot about the show or something. It's Tuesday night, so uh, we're doing the cogitations, and I do what I do regardless of what anybody else does. Now, let's first off, before we get into the meat of the podcast, there are ways to support me as a podcaster. You can do that through www.nearchurches.com forward slash nope, www.patreon.com forward slash nearchurches. And you can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. And um, anyway, uh, the okay. So he mentioned me coming on. Yeah, yeah. He yeah he yeah he shut it down. Yep yep. I was in. I mean, I was there. I saw him. And uh, anyway, he'll be all right. Now, yeah, we need to define good. We're working from the same definition of good. I think. Most Christians define good as godly, but for our co- for our podcast tonight, we are going to differentiate and make a and make a distinction. There are things that are good, and only the things that are good, or only the things that are godly, are good. There are things that are virtuous. In other words, they have the attributes of virtue but they are not necessarily good works. Let's keep going, all right? First off, let's go to Haggai. And let me read you the um let me read you the text that spawned the the question that gets us to this podcast. In the 4 and 20th day of the ninth month of the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. All right, so basically you're a priest, and then you, you've, you've made a, a pocket out of the skirt of your garment, and you have holy flesh. And you touch something that's not necessarily unclean, but you just touch something that's not holy. Does the holiness of the meat make that which is common, again, not necessarily unholy, in other words, not necessarily evil, bread is not evil, pottage is not evil, but does it make those things that are, let's say, are neutral, does it make those things holy? Well, the answer is no, it doesn't. And and the priest knew this. Now, then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? So if you have touched a dead body and you touch bread, you're unclean because you've touched a dead body and you have to go cleanse yourself. If you touch the bread or the pottage or anything else, while you're unclean, does your uncleanliness then get that other thing unclean? Well, the answer is, let's see. And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. Now, here's the punch. Here's the rub. This is the, this is the pill that's very hard to swallow. Then answered Haggai and said, so is this people. 
and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. Now listen, lean in and listen to this. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer is unclean. So if this people is unclean, unholy, evil, they're not right in the eyes of God. And they do something that would be considered good, quote-unquote, by the world, let's say, feed the poor. Is that work then good? According to what we read here, if we had no other scripture in the Bible, the answer would be no, because their work would be unclean. Everything their hand touches, every work of their hand, so is every work of their hand, and that which they offer is unclean. So these people could do things that are actually virtuous. They could feed the poor. They could save somebody's life. They could be, well, benevolent and feeding the poor. That's the same thing. I'm, I'm going to focus on feeding the poor because I'm going to use an illustration later on and, and to really drive this home. But the fact of the matter is, even feeding the poor would be unclean. It would not be acceptable in God's eyes. In other words, you can't offer that to God. You can't say, look at me, I'm doing a good work, because you're actually a worker of iniquity. You are a doer, a performer of lawlessness, a practitioner of lawlessness, and your deeds are affected by that. I, several years ago, was preaching a gospel meeting, and I made this point from the book of Ephesians. In fact, I'm going to get my New Testament with Psalms here. Let's go to the book of Ephesians, <clears throat> chapter 2. And I made this point. Listen to this. Ephesians, chapter 2. Let me get on the right page. For by grace, this is verse 8, Ephesians 2, 8 and following. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. The, the word there, the Greek word is poema. We are his composition. We are something beautiful that he composed. Created in Christ for good works, for the purpose, good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is impossible for a person in the world, not in Christ, but in the world, to do good works. They may be virtuous. They may help in the short term somebody get out of a ditch. But they are not good by definition because they are unclean. And a baseline for this is all the way back in Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to look at some other scriptures tonight. Matthew chapter 7, listen to this, starting in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In other words, if there's a person who is evil, if, there, if there's a person who is unrighteous, 
the only thing that they can produce is more unrighteousness. It's like a fig tree. It can't produce thistles. I mean, yeah, a a thistle tree cannot produce figs. Let's keep going. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. If you are in the world, even if you are a virtuous person by the world standard, you're bearing bad fruit. A good tree, and he he reiterates it from the other side, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Now, what, what happens to the bad trees? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Now, whenever I said this in this gospel meeting and I said, a, a Christian, any, nobody but a Christian can actually do good work in the world, I had so much pushback. It's like I preached a 45-minute lesson, and this was one small subpoint in this lesson. It was almost an aside. I really shouldn't have said anything because it took away from the main point of the lesson, really. And that's all they focused on. They hyperfixated on it. And it's, you know why? It's because their friend down the road who's not a Christian, well, he's just a good person. She's just a good person. They're always doing good. They just need to obey the gospel. And it's, they, they didn't realize. And one person got so angry at me and argued with me so much that he didn't, I had to stop him. And I had to say, brother, you are making a case that Mother Teresa is in heaven. And you don't even realize. He said, no, I'm not. I'm like, I can't help it. You have, you, have, you have set yourself against what I've said so much, and you've, you've refused to think about it to the point where you are affirming something that I know you don't believe. And, and we, we talked about Mother Teresa because he brought it up. So I'm going to speak about Mother Teresa. That's why I focus so much about feeding the poor. What was Mother Teresa? She was the saint of Calcutta. I believe that's, that was her title. She was a Catholic nun. And she fed thousands upon thousands of destitute people in India. And you're thinking, well, Tony, that if anybody in the world outside of Christ has done good works, it's got to be Mother Teresa. Nope. She did bad works. She was unholy. She was wicked. She was evil. Therefore, her works were contaminated. Even though feeding the poor is virtuous, her feeding the poor is not good. And I'll tell you why in a moment, but let's just build this case from Scripture. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Now remember, Ephesians 2, 8 and following, it's God's people, the people who were his workmanship, created in Christ, for the purpose of good works. That's who, is, are, that's who are supposed to do the good works. Mother Teresa is not created in Christ Jesus for good works, that she should walk in them. She has to be reborn so she can be raised again to walk in newness of life in order that she can do good works. She may do virtuous works while she's on this earth, but she cannot do good works. Because, as Christine Woodall put, 
she is a worker. She, well, Matthew 7, 21 and following, she's a worker of iniquity. Oh, yeah. Let's go to Matthew. Let, let's read the rest of Matthew, and then we're going to go to Hebrews. Let's go to Matthew. Let's go back to Matthew 7. Bear with me. All right. Matthew 7. I started in verse 15. I can't remember where I got. Yeah. Yeah, verse 21. I'm going to start where Christine starts. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Was Mother Teresa doing the will of God? No, she was not. But Tony, she was doing these good works. She wasn't doing good works. We've established that. But they were virtuous. Yes, they were. But those works were contaminated. And I'll, 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 I'll promise I'll get to the point on that in a moment. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Have we not fed the poor? Have we not fed thousands upon thousands of starving children in Calcutta, India? Well, what's God going to say to Mother Teresa? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The King James says, workers of iniquity. Is Mother Teresa a worker of good or a worker of iniquity? All right, so there's your baseline from Matthew chapter 7, 15 to Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. There's your baseline. Unless you're doing the will of the Father in heaven, and, and we understand from subsequent books of the Bible written after Matthew that doing the will of your Father in heaven entails being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Incidentally, that, that tickles my memory. Let me get over there. First Peter, and we are going to go to Hebrews, I promise, but let, let's take a brief excursus to First Peter. First Peter 1, 2, 3 is the verse that I quoted, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. All right. I'm going to start reading verse 17. I think there's a... I think there's a verse that, that would make sense here. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with incorruptible things like gold and silver from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of the Lamb without blemish and spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope are in God. Since you, having purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible 
through the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, because all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades away, but the word of the Lord re, re, um, endures forever. I feel like there was a verse that Aaron Dotson and I was talking about that, that was for this, what worked for this uh, idea. Anyway, it may not be, but I will tell you this. Notice that before we were Christians, we were redeemed. Let me look at my finger and turn left here. Um, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct. Well, what is your aimless conduct? Well, don't you think there were a lot of people before they obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered them that was doing very virtuous things, but it was aimless? In other words, it's still not good. It's still not good. All right. Now, let me get to Hebrews. We almost derailed everything. Back to Hebrews chapter 13. I want to I kind of make a case here. Hebrews 13, now listen to this. This is starting in verse 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Us sharing, being benevolent, and taking care of each other and taking care of our fellow human is good, number one, and number two, it is a sacrifice to God. And it with it, he is well pleased. There is just one problem. What is the what what is the boundaries for the good sacrifice? If I'm if I'm outside of Christ, my sacrifices are not acceptable. Go back to Haggai chapter two. If I'm outside of a right relationship with God, I'm unholy. Therefore everything I touch is unholy. If I'm outside of Christ, it doesn't matter how much I profess Christ. Just like what Matthew recorded the words of Jesus, I'm a worker of iniquity. I cannot be a worker of good. Katie Smith, verse 15 of 1 Peter 1, He who called you is holy, uh, you also be holy in all your conduct. That, that may have been what I, Aaron, Aaron and I talked about this briefly. I bounced this off of him and he and I. In fact, we talked about this on the Christianity Now podcast a little bit. and. Um, it's because it was on my mind because I knew I was going to do this tonight. And I cannot think of, of what, what we brought up. But anyway, that's just as, I mean, that verse applies as well, Katie. That verse applies as well. Anyway, good, good comments here. Uh, bear with me. I'm going to get the, I'm going to, I'm going to get some comments. I'm going to get to some comments later. Now I've been to Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. We see then that Christians are to do good work. The problem is, if I'm not in Christ, I can't do good because everything that I try to do that is good is contaminated by my uncleanliness. So by definition, it cannot be good. Therefore, Mother Teresa, so-called mother, she's not my mother, 
in Calcutta, India, was doing something very virtuous, but it was not good. And I put forth to you it was actually a net negative if we understand going the long way, taking a long view of righteousness and reward. All right. That's it. Um, Acts chapter 10. Is, I had a conversation one time in a Bible class about Cornelius. I said, Cornelius was a wicked man. And they said, no, Cornelius wasn't wicked. He was a righteous man. He wasn't righteous. You have to be. Uh, do you think he was born again? Do you think he was in Christ before he was baptized into Christ? That's a logical absurdity. They just, they confused his prayers going up as alms before God. And they confused being thought highly of by the Jews as being good. Listen, if you're not a Christian and you're praying, dear God, I just want to follow you. Please help me. That prayer is going up before God as an alm, just like if Cornelius did it. But you are not righteous. You are not holy. The only way you can be holy is to put that old man of sin to death and to be buried and raised again to walk in newness of life. Then you will be in Christ. You will be in the location where you are a new creature created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ephesians chapter 2. See how that works? All right. Now, let's go to Titus. And, and, and let's go to Titus with Mother Teresa in mind. All right, there's Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus. Now listen to this. In Titus chapter 1, you have the prerequisites for being an elder, all right? Well, an elder needs to be able to do certain things. Why? Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 10. For there are many insubordinate, both idle, excuse me, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. Now, he kind of switches a little bit, but this still has to do with all of this other. That, that's, that's it, Connie Barden. Cornelius was a devout man. That means he had devotion. He was devoted to a code of ethics and morality. Well, you can be devoted to a code of ethics and morality and not be in Christ. Aren't there many religious people in the world today who are devout? Good stuff. I'm glad you brought that up. I should have made that point. I'm slipping, ain't I? Anyway, listen to what Paul says to Titus. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. 
a Christian feeding the poor is a good work. But if you're not a Christian, you might profess to know God, but you deny Him by your works. You're abominable, disobedient, and you are disqualified for that good work. In other words, you can't even do that and it be good. Go back to the baseline of Matthew chapter 7. You are a worker of iniquity. You are a practitioner of lawlessness. You may perform virtuous works. You may be virtuous. You may even be devout, as Cornelius was devout. But you cannot be good and you cannot do good because Ephesians chapter 2, you have not been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. And look at verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see, Titus chapter 1 verse 15 is the, the punch there. Titus chapter 1 verse 15 is the punch. But Titus chapter 1, that last section of Scripture, uh, in the chapter, um, we are created. We're a new creature. We are a, a royal priesthood. A cho. Hold on. Yeah, a chosen generation. I forgot what the Bible said. Ain't that terrible? But anyway, um, he, here's the thing. I, I'm 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 going here because I want to jump from here to Hebrews chapter twelve. Now remember, we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. And only his royal priesthood, chosen generation, and own special people, peculiar people, it is only those who have the ability to proclaim the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, if you're not a Christian, you can't even sing praises to God. Well, Tony, Tony, don't you know that people who are not Christians, they sing praises to God all the time? I mean, hallelujah, praise Jehovah. From the heavens, praise his name. People who are not Christians sing that all the time. Yeah, but God don't like it. They don't have any right to sing. And therefore, God doesn't accept it. It's abominable to, abominable to him. It's, it's as disdainful unto God for somebody who is not his peculiar people to sing hallelujah, praise Jehovah, and it, as it was for Nadab and Abihu to offer that strange fire. That's the God we serve. He's jealous. Don't you remember? And it's a fearful thing to be caught up in the wrath of the jealous God. Luke chapter 18, verse 19, And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one that is God. Therefore, in order to be good, folks, you've got to be godly. In order to be good, you've got to be godly. I'm going to stress it again. You need this nomenclature when you think about this. 
You can perform virtuous works. You can be virtuous. You can be devout. But unless you're in Christ, you cannot also be good. The only way you can be good and the only way you can do good is if you're in Christ Jesus. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 with this second Peter or 1 Peter 2.9 in our minds. Hebrews chapter 12, listen to this. Therefore, this is verse 28, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We're created in Christ Jesus and the good works that, that God has ordained that we may walk in them. Being benevolent is a good work ordained by God. We know this. We also know that if we're unholy, we, um, we contaminate that, that work and then it's no longer good. We know that if we don't do the will of God, Matthew 7, that we are a, practicer, a practitioner of lawlessness, a worker of iniquity, as the King James says. We know that we are not his royal priesthood, his chosen nation, his peculiar people. Therefore, we don't even have the, uh, uh, um, um, the right to acceptably offer praise. We cannot acceptably offer anything to God. One of the things that we offer, one of the sacrifices that we offer, one is the fruit of our lips. Well, the same opening, Hebrews 13. Uh, therefore, by, by him, by Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but, to, but do not forget to do good and to share. Okay, so to do good and to share, sharing is good. This is a sacrifice with which God is well pleased. We cannot acceptably serve God by sharing and doing good unless we are in the kingdom. I don't, I don't, I don't see what the problem is here. It's a very difficult pill to swallow, and this is very brutal teaching. I absolutely understand that. But it is the truth. It is absolutely the truth. Now, let's talk about Mother Teresa for just a moment. Tony, you, you, may, you may say, you may say, Tony, I, I agree with what you're saying. Logically, it makes sense. You, you've laid out a case from Scripture. It's real hard to argue with, Tony. But there's just one problem. God. Surely God won't wanted all of those innocent children to live. He didn't want them to starve to death. You're right. I would say God probably did not want them innocent children to starve to death. However, we're looking at it from a very temporal viewpoint. Let's look at it from an, from an eternal viewpoint. I'm going to explain from God's perspective what Mother Teresa did. And then you tell me in the comment section whether or not it was good or whether it was abominable, her feeding those children. If How many thousands of children can Mother Teresa be credited with saving and, allow, and, and, and prolonging their life until they reach adulthood, until they reach the age of accountability? 
tens of thousands if, if the reports are to be believed, maybe more than that. Well, what, what is their lot in life? Either those children are going to grow up and convert to Catholicism, which is ungodly and unholy, that's not a path to heaven, or they're going to stay in the religion of their nativity, which would be more than likely Hinduism, which also is unholy and abominable and is not a path to heaven. What if those children had have died before they reached the age of accountability? Each one of those precious souls would be in paradise awaiting their eternal home in heaven. But because Mother Teresa went over there in the name of the Catholic Church, in the name of the pseudo-God, the false God that she serves, she prolonged their lives long enough for them to rebel against God and be damned to an eternity in hell. So I ask you, did Mother Teresa do good? Or was her work in Calcutta an abomination? I take no pleasure in saying this. But I say her work is an abomination, and I'm not afraid to do it. I don't want to do it. I take no pleasure in it. But how many more souls would be in heaven if Mother Teresa would have not gone over there? Now, does that mean, then, that we ought to not help anybody and be benevolent at all? God forbid. The takeaway from that is it is incumbent upon us to fulfill our obligations to the Great Commission. It is absolutely the case that these people out here are being very virtuous. We're not going to stop them. I don't think we should stop them. But you know what we should do? We should try our best not to let these workers of iniquity outshine us in virtuous works. We need to perform virtuous works. We need to perform virtuous works because our works are good. Alan Allen says, could the same thing be said about a denomination convention or a con- convening mothers not to have abortions. Absolutely. And and this is going to sound weird. I am absolutely glad that there are organizations out there that are not the church that are convincing mothers not to have their abortion. Yeah, autocorrection action, dumb. Yes, autocorrection kills me a lot. But I understand what you're saying. I believe you meant to say convincing. So could the same thing be said about denominations convincing uh, mothers not to have an abortion, not to have abortions? The answer is yes. But now w- what's the takeaway from that? That means the church does not need to let the denominations outshine them in this area. That means the church, every congregation everywhere should be 
almost functioning in the red every year to make an impact on the world. How do you make an impact on the world? Well, first, you got to teach the gospel. You can't teach the gospel to somebody who's starving. You can't teach the gospel to a young woman who's faced with the choice of having a baby out of wedlock or killing the baby. You've got to fix that problem first. That's virtuous. That's good if a Christian does it. So we have to make sure that we don't let the denominations outshine us there. So this is really an an admonition to every Christian here. Go back to the congregations that you are a representative of and advocate for the poor and the downtrodden and the disenfranchised and those whose lives are turned upside down to the point where they are so desperate they they will take any virtuous help from any entity that comes along and you go help them. Go to that mother. You get your 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 you you know this woman who works at Kmart or Walmart or Kroger or whatever grocery store, and you know that you know that she would want to live a life oriented towards the highest possible good of which she can conceive. There's just one problem. She can't conceive of a life in Christ because nobody's shown her. And then somebody comes along from the Baptist church. And they show her, and what the Baptist church would do, the Baptist church would say, hey, we want you to be a part of our worship service. And the woman will say, well, I can't be a part of the worship service. If I don't work on Sundays, I won't be able to pay my rent. Well, the Baptist church will go cut a check for a year's worth of rent to the landlord. And that's almost no money. Let's say her rent's $1,000 a month in this climate, this, this, this social economic climate that might not be too high that might not be out of the question well if you're a huge congregation let's say when i say huge let's say you're a hundred member congregation let's say you've got a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank let's say you've got twenty thousand dollars in the bank and you know that there's a woman struggling and or a man let's say it's a man doesn't matter. I just pick a woman because I I thought about a single mother. We were talking about abortion. Well, use the money that you're getting from the members to alleviate that woman's need. Do good. Do not forget to do good because that's a sacrifice with which God is well pleased. Sacrifice some of that holy money that's in the bank account and pay her rent for six months and say, look, we're going to pay your rent for six months. And you can use this windfall, and we're going to help you, and we're going to help you better yourself, and you'll be able to get a job where you can actually make a living wage, and you can get out of that minimum wage grind. Alan, that's not what I'm saying at all. Here's the question. So it's better for a baby to be killed than a denomination to help the mother. That's a, that's, that's, and I know that you're not, uh, what's the word here? I I know that you're honestly asking this question, so I'm, I'm but I'm going to answer the question, and it's going to sound like I'm very antagonistic to you. I promise I'm not. Okay, what you've done here is you've created a false binary. That's not what I'm saying at all. Now, when you boil it down to its fundamental parts, is it better for a baby to be killed 
than for the mother to be helped by a denomination. If the, if the church doesn't do its job and influence that baby's life and that mother converts to the Baptist church and that baby is reared in the Baptist church and converts to being a Baptist instead of a Christian and that baby grows up and he's a Baptist and dies a Baptist and spends an eternity in hell, I'll ask you, would it be better then for that baby to have died in the womb? Something to think about. Alan Allen said, wouldn't that be the same thing as the Mother Teresa argument you just made? Absolutely. In a sense, it would, but, but you're, you're creating a false dichotomy. You're, you're, uh, you're, you're trying to put me on the horns of a dilemma. I have no problem saying that it is better for a baby to be aborted and die and spend an eternity in heaven than to grow up and convert to something that is not Christianity and spend an eternity in hell. That's a very cold, logical statement that you're not going to be able to get your head around unless you divorce your emotion from your logic. And what I've been trying to teach is that the takeaway is not that we stand in the way of Mother Teresa. It's not the takeaway that we stop the denominations from speaking out against abortion. The takeaway is we ramp up our efforts. We ramp up our efforts. We make sure that we don't let the denominations outshine us. We make sure, because we really, and let me tell you something, the Lord's Church, we love subsidizing the work of the church. The work of the church, well, first off, the purpose of the church is to glorify God on earth. How is that done? It's done through the work of the church. The work of the church is this, benevolence, edification, evangelism. There's an abortion clinic down the road. The Baptist church has, um, this is, um, this is, I'm making this up. This is a hypothetical. The, 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 the Baptist church is contracted with the abortion clinic down the road and the Baptist pastor, who also is a therapist, a psychotherapist, gets to counsel. In other words, this, this abortion clinic offering free abortions, this Baptist pastor, in order for this woman to get a free abortion, she has to have three counseling sessions with the Baptist pastor. That's very virtuous. And, and, it, and it happens. Stuff like that happens. My admonition is the Lord's, the Lord's church needs to spend money and make sure that ain't the Baptist pastor doing that. They need to make sure that it's somebody who's an actual Christian that can offer that woman something substantive both on earth and for eternity. Sue Ross says, Yeah, okay, Alan, good. It's really not a gotcha question. I'm just trying to clarify what you're saying. There's no need to clarify what I'm saying. What I'm saying is very clear. You're having trouble with it because of emotion. You're having trouble with it because of emotion. 
There's a difference between virtuosity and goodness. There are so many workers of iniquity being virtuous in the world, as I think Christine Woodall put it, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. That that Baptist pastor that's counseling those mothers to not get abortions, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing because he's going to devour those children that are born, and he's going to make sure that those children are are brought up in as good Baptist. So that means the church needs to get off its duff and get on the ball because as a whole, we've dropped the ball. Connie Barden says, when we, uh, when we here in Arkansas pretty much outlawed abortion, I told our preacher, we have to step up and be ready to help any mother, married or not, that may need it. We haven't been called on to do that as of yet. Absolutely. And uh, Deborah says, I'll have to catch the replay just now jumping in. My daddy called and I talked to him. Awesome, Deborah. That's very good. And um, but but make no mistakes about it. Outside of Christ, no good work can be done. Oh, I mean, there's another comment I wanted to. From Sue Ross. Hold on. Can't find it now. Yeah, right there it is. But if they live, there is a possibility of salvation for that child later. Yes, we must work first. Yeah, and that, that's the thing. That's, that's, why the, that's why that work is virtuous. Yeah, it's, it's better that somebody live and have, and have an option and a chance to exercise their free will. The remedy is the church to double down on good works because not only can we be virtuous, we can also be good and they cannot. Gotcha. Alan says, not really. I've, uh, I've kind of thought the same things, but most have thought I was heartless for saying such things. Yes. And the reason they think that is because they have a problem divorcing their emotion from logic. Like I said, I, I laid out in the first part of the, of the live stream, the scripture here that if you're doing something that's virtuous, it cannot be good if you're outside of Christ. And again, I have to reiterate, I'm not saying that we don't need to stand against abortion. I'm not saying that we don't need to, you know, make sure starving people in third world countries are fed. What I'm saying is the Lord's church needs to outshine every other institution because it's only the Lord's church that is able to do this in a way that's acceptable to God. I needed to hear this because it strips away our excuse to sit back and let others do this. It's very hard to hear, very hard. Thank you so much, Elaine. I, I, I appreciate that. And it's hard for me because I think about this all the time. It's what keeps me up at night. And I don't feel like I can do enough. Of course, I'm one person. I can't do enough. Um, that, that's why, you know, to do good and communicate, forget not. You know, to do good and to share, forget not. Don't forget to do good and to share what you have. Because these are sacrifices with which God is well pleased. And we have to do this. Yeah, they're thinking on earthly living and not living in the here and, and after uh, with God. Yeah, they're, they're, you, have to, you have to think like God in this way. So, 
and, and I, I've said this time and time and time again, the Lord's church needs to start investing money in mental health professionals. Because if you invest money in mental health professionals, uh, you can you can help a lot of people because you can you can help them by giving them groceries and paying their rent, paying their utilities. But the mental health professional can actually act as a life coach of sorts, a therapist, and teach them to actually be able to function at a higher level in society. Labeth and I talk about this all the time. Labeth is a mental health professional. And and she when I first said this, incidentally, everything that I've said tonight, I heard this from a very well-respected, venerable gospel preacher. And the first time I heard it, I disagreed with it. I thought, you're a nut, ain't you? Well, <laughs> the more I thought about it and the more I studied the scripture, the more I realized, yeah, not so much. You know, this dude is correct. Anyway, that man has gone on to his reward, and as much as I can know this side of eternity, I better live right so I can see him again. Anyway, where was I at? I feel, oh yeah, Labeth and I, um, th- this is another thing that Labeth said, and, and or this thing that Labeth said is another thing that the first time I heard it, I kind of disagreed with it, but now I'm, I'm fully convinced. People, every person you meet, regardless of their level of functioning, do the best that they can absolutely do. They're doing the best that they can. If and, and the way you know that is logically, if they could do better, they would be doing better. Nobody wants to do bad. No or nobody wants to do badly. So if you've got a if you meet a guy that's living in a cardboard box under the overpass, you best believe that that's the absolute best that he can do. And if you were just able to cut him a check for a million dollars, that would probably be the worst thing that you could do for him. You would need to teach him how to live in this world and how to maintain a living space and and, and a domicile that is not a cardboard box under an overpass. Because right now, that's all he can do. Um, Lisa the stylist. I've not seen your name before. Lisa, good to see you. Jesus isn't looking for people with good moral or ethical and civil rights or service. He's looking for those who obey him unto salvation. Good teaching, Brother Tony. Thank you very much. Yeah, and, and be, be not confused whatsoever. The reason the church needs to not let anybody, any other institution, outshine in this area is because of what Lisa the stylist just said. The ultimate goal is converting them to Christ. And and you best believe Mother Teresa was over in India feeding those orphans so she could convert them to Catholicism. I promise you that. That Baptist church that's contracted with that abortion clinic, the reason they're contracted with the abortion clinic to counsel those women is so they can convert them to being a Baptist. You better believe that. We need to be as shrewd as serpents and as harmless as doves Mother Teresa was as shrewd as a serpent, but she was a wolf in sheep's clothing. The Baptist pastor is shrewd as a serpent, but he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. We can be shrewd as serpents, but we can also be harmless as doves. If we were able to counsel with women getting abortions, 
we would be doing so in order to convert those women and subsequently those babies, once they reach the age of accountability, converting them to Christ and growing the kingdom. We don't need to, we need to not be lazy and we need not to let people, let, let the world outshine us in virtue. All right. That's it. Excellent. Good, good comment there, Scott Wall. Our allegiance has to be in our obedience in the truth of his word. Absolutely. And uh, listen, I really appreciate the, the, the feedback that I've gotten tonight. Alan Allen, I appreciate you. Um, I don't know that I would say that you pushed back. I, the questions that you asked, they were good. And um, I, I know this is difficult. And I know this is a difficult topic. I don't suggest that after you listen to this podcast, that you go back to the congregation and say, hey, by the way, Mother Teresa didn't do anything good and just chew on this, assimilate it, wrap your mind around it, and try to affect change in your own sphere of influence. Don't go out there and try to change the world. Don't even go out there and try to change your congregation. Change yourself. You know, maybe maybe find something that you can do. Maybe find some kind of benevolence program that you can be involved in. Find some kind of service project that you can be involved in. Figure out how to how to do good. Be, figure out these virtuous things that you can do, and look for ways to work. That's the idea. Don't don't forget to do good and share. That's 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 what the Hebrews writer said. Yeah, teach a man to fish. There's a, there's a difference between teaching a man to fish and then giving him a fish. Absolutely. And, and that's right, Christine. Our motive is to bring others to Christ. And Connie Barnes says, there are those who are lazy and don't care to do better. Exactly. And you know what? That's another truism. You will never, ever, ever be able to help someone that does not want, to, that does not want it. You will never, ever be able to help someone that does not want it or that wants it but doesn't want it bad enough to do a little work. Anyway, good stuff. Listen, I hope that I have wrinkled your brain this evening. I hope that I have treated the topic with care. I hope that I have not been too cavalier. I hope I haven't been too harsh. I I hope that I've just conveyed the truth of God's word and the conclusions we can draw from it in such a way that even if you're not 100% convinced, you'll be like me. Even if you said, Tony, you say a lot of stuff that I agree with, but I don't agree with this. Just think on it, chew on it because I didn't agree with it the first time I heard it either. But you just remember Haggai and what Haggai told those people. If you're unclean, everything that you touch is unclean. And then think about what Paul told Titus, that you forfeit your ability to do good works when you're not in Christ. All right. One more comment. This is from Lisa the Stylist, Then I'm going to shut us down. Amen. We as Christians are to feed them the spiritual word of Christ, and he will add the increase. Whoops, we jumped. Hold on. 
We as Christians are to feed them the spiritual word of Christ, and he will add the increased increase. It is not our job to save them because only he can actually save them through belief and obedience to the plan and five steps of salvation. We are to make, ah, why is it doing this to me? We are to make it plain so that they can understand it because there was once a time God winked at the ignorance of man, but no more. And Debbie says, thanks for this important discussion. And Gita says, Food on which to cogitate. Oh, that makes my heart happy. <laughs> and um, that's it, Christine. The truth may hurt. And Jenny Blackwell says, good discussion and food for spiritual thought. Thank you. Guys, I, get, I, I think I get so much more out of this than y'all do. Thank you so much for your attention. Remember, be the algorithm for us. Share this live stream and subsequently subscribe to my podcast. On my pot on podcast, whatever channel you watch or listen to, and share the podcast, and that will help me a lot. Uh, Scott Wall, thank you. Uh, Cynthia, uh, Cynthia Martin, thank you so much. And Christine, open your eyes to what Christ says. Planters of the seed. All right, guys, I'll just keep reading comments if I don't get off here, folks. This has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. Be sure and uh, look at the show notes uh, if you're listening to this on on the podcasting platform. They'll have links and how to and how to um, support me. Also, uh, I sell t-shirts now. So if you go to my podcast channel and look at the show notes on my podcast channel, you will find a link to my Etsy shop where there's a Jesus Loves Me This I Know t-shirt. It's pretty dapper if I say so myself. And uh, you can you can buy that shirt and it helps me and it's a way for you to get something back for supporting me besides listening to me, listening to more talking for me. Anyway. I'm done. This has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. Be sure and subscribe. Be sure and share. And be sure and offer your support if you can. Uh, We'll catch you on the flip side.